Good morning. My name is Dave, and it has been a great blessing to be able to unpack this ancient letter to the church at Rome, 2,000-year-old letter written in 57 AD, and yet powerful and active in our lives to the point where it can penetrate our hearts and uh, has the ability to change our lives. And so today we are in Romans chapter 6. If I could summarize the first five chapters for you with three words, it would be simply justification through faith. Justification through faith or not guilty for those of us who are in Christ. Not because of your performance, not because of your behavior, but because of what Christ has done for you at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Now, Paul, when he begins chapter 6, can almost hear somebody argue, yeah, but if you're justified through faith, not according to your own behavior or your good works, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, shouldn't I just keep on sinning and keep on enjoying my own sin because the more I sin, the more grace I get? And Isn't that a good thing? And Paul says, by no means, by no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so if you have to leave early or if you're watching online and your internet goes out, here's the big idea. We have died to sin. And you can look at sin and say, sin, you are dead to me. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, it doesn't feel dead to me. Matter of fact, this morning when I tried to get Jimmy to get his pants on and Sally to eat her breakfast, and, you know, sin was alive and well in my house this morning. Well, I I get it. We'll talk about that. Paul's going to deal with that. But he first wants you to rest in this truth that you are justified through faith, that you have a new position in Christ. And that changes everything. So if I could illustrate his thesis statement, because he's just going to give some commentary, give some illustrations of, of this truth. If I could illustrate it like this, we are, prior to Christ, we're wearing orange jumpsuits with handcuffs, right? And because we're known as sheep, you know, Jesus calls us sheep, I am the good shepherd, we're locked up, right? We're, we're under sin, And what Christ does when you receive him is he reaches over this brick wall, the dividing wall of hostility, and he transfers you, and to use the language that Paul uses in Colossians, he transfers you or he rescues us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And here we are enjoying the abundant life that Christ has for us as our good shepherd. Now, we've all experienced, you know, if if you know Jesus, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, we know that, that Satan still speaks to us, right? Like, the cross at Calvary broke the back of Satan, Satan who roars around like a prowling lion looking for people to destroy. His back is broken, but you don't want to go up to the lion and pet him, right? So here he is on the other side of the, the wall, and he's He's speaking things to us, right? You're not good enough, or you can can feel that way. Go ahead, click there, go there, say that thing. And sometimes we listen to him, but then we need to be reminded that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we say here at Beartown Road that our mission is to take another step closer towards Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the further away you get to the voice of Satan. He still speaks, but his voice is diminished because we've been transferred into a new home, into a new location, into a different position. So Paul goes on. He says, 
Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're going to celebrate baptism in a few minutes, and this is an area where Paul gives us a theology of baptism. This is, this is what baptism is all about. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul uses language like you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And this is what baptism celebrates, right? Today we got this, if you're a first timer here, we got a, a, a tank behind me that's filled with water. When you go down under the water, you're, you've died with Christ, and then Christ raises you up into new life. And just as the water washes away your dirt, the blood of Christ washes away your sin. And we're going to celebrate that in just a few minutes. And Paul says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So if you're a Jesus follower, you should get baptized. If you are a Jesus follower and you've gone through many seasons of life without getting baptized, I would say to you, and I know this is a little offensive, but I would say to you, you're kind of like a black sheep, right? You're, you're justified. You've been declared not guilty because you're justified through faith. You're not justified through baptism. Paul spends five chapters hammering home justification through faith. I don't believe that baptism saves you, but if you don't get baptized after being saved, that's confusing. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You look at this black sheep and you're like, I don't get it because I went from orange. I thought I went to white, but now I'm a black sheep. It's just, it's just confusing. If you were to sit down with the apostle Paul today, I believe, and he were to ask you, are you justified? And you would say yes. Are you baptized? And you would say no. He would say, I don't, I don't understand that. That's, that's confusing because you repent of your sins. You receive forgiveness of sins. You're justified and then you're baptized. Why would you not wear the uniform? That, that doesn't make any sense. Like I, I say this every time we do baptisms, but I'm a little league coach and I have a team who gets their uniform. And I have a kid right now. This kid is near and dear to my heart. Love this guy. And for the last few games, he showed up without his hat. And I'm like, okay, like you, you, you can play, but that's weird. Like why don't you have your hat? And then for a couple of straight games, I had to baptize him or I had to give him a new hat. I later on discovered that it was actually his hat that he kept leaving in the dugout. But if you play on the team and if you're part of the body of Christ and you don't wear the uniform, baptism, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So if you're a Jesus follower, you should get baptized today. He goes on. He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, right? The handcuffs have been broken. The orange jumpsuit has been taken off. You've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So again, you can look at sin and say, sin, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him in this new reality. Now, let me just talk to those of you who are married, right? Husband and wife, you're married. You live together. It's a good life. 
It's a good life. You have some rough moments. You have some rough seasons. You know, you wake up, she's got bad breath, he's got bad breath, you got hair in the sink. You got to deal with those things. And let's just say, hypothetically, not that this has ever happened to you, but let's say one day you get a phone call. And you look at the caller ID and you notice it's your ex-girlfriend, right? And you're like, ooh, ooh. And, and you start reminiscing about all the good times with your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend, or you see a social media post, or maybe you even get a text message, and in that moment, you have a choice. You could say, you know what? I'm going to entertain this. I'm going to take this phone call. I'm going to read this. And if you do that, your current spouse might say, you're dead. (laughs) But the right thing to do is you might not say this to your ex-girlfriend, but you should make her dead to you. You should say, I'm dead to you. I got a new life. We're working this out, right? We're working out my salvation. We're we're working on our marriage, but I'm dead to you, so stop calling me if you have to block her, if you have to get her off social media, whatever it is, because you've been been rescued into a new life, and sin is no longer your master. That's what sin does. It calls us up on the phone and says, come on, just a little bit here, just a little bit there. No big deal. Everybody's doing it. Paul says, for we know that Since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. When Jesus died, he put to death death. So if you're in Christ, you don't need to fear death. Because death has been put to death on the cross, and you can look at death in the face and say, Death, you are dead to me. Because even though this body's going to die... It's going to be resurrected, and I'll live with Jesus for eternity. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's why we only do baptism one time. Right? Like before, before Christ, you get baptized all the time. You go underneath the mikvah, and you get the ceremonial cleansing. You go offer the animal, but the animal only provided a temporary covering. But when Christ died once for all, I only get baptized one time. The life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I forgot to explain. Let's go back to verse 10 here, because I think this is an important statement right here. He died to sin once for all. Now, when I first read this, I thought to myself, well, what does he mean by that? Why did Jesus have to die to sin? I thought he was sinless. Why did he need to die to sin? Well, the truth is, Jesus was sinless. Even Peter, who spent three years with him, said, in him there is no sin at all. Fully God, fully man. The true God and the true man. Withstood temptation at all times. I mean, when he was in the desert and Satan spoke to him and said, hey, why don't you just turn those rocks into bread? That was a real temptation. Now, it wouldn't have been a temptation for me because I can't turn stones into bread. But for Jesus, after 40 days of being hungry, he was tempted. And he had to withstand that temptation. When Satan said to him, why don't you just throw yourself off the temple and be caught by a bunch of angels? And then people could say, wow, look what Jesus just did. He's amazing. That was a temptation for him. The book of Hebrews says he is, full, he, he is human. And he was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted Yet he never gave in to temptation. But watch this, and this is what this verse means. That when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he was no longer tempted by sin because he died to sin. 
So for that 40-day period, post-resurrection, before his ascension, he was no longer tempted by sin. And I'll tell you why that's good news. Because if you're in Christ, you're going to live with Jesus in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, and you will no longer be tempted by sin. Amen? That's some good news. The power of sin was broken by Jesus on the cross. And when you receive your resurrected body, the power of sin will have no influence on you anymore because Jesus died to sin once for all. That's good news. That's good news. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word could, this is an accounting term. It could mean reckon, right? We should start using the word reckon more often. I reckon he said that. I reckon I got X amount of dollars in my bank account. I've counted it, and I can reckon it, and it is a reality because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to my account. So I'm resting in that truth. And that's been your practical application the last couple of weeks as we've talked about Romans, is I just want you to take some time to rest in that. Remember last week we had the the, ju- the, uh, the jug full of water pouring into you, and we just need to take time where we say, I got a new reality going on. I got a new position and a new master, and I'm just going to rest in that. I know I got questions about why I still struggle with sin, but I'm going to rest in who I am, that I've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and I'm going to enjoy that, and I'm going to rest in that. Okay, it leads us to this important question. Well, why do I still sin? Why is sin such a battle in my life if I've died to it? And I want to talk about what I think is a very helpful theological statement that can help us get our arms around that question. And it's it's this. It's, It's called the already and the not yet. Okay. In other words, the back of broken the back of Satan has been broken. You are no longer a slave to sin. The sin is, in fact, really dead to you. That you've been given a new name and a new master and a new place and a new new teammates. But it's not yet fully complete. It's already happened, but not yet fully complete. So I still battle with sin. Let me illustrate it like this. One of the greatest moments in American history was April 9th, 1865, where General Robert E. Lee walked into Appomattox Courthouse and signed the paper signifying the end of the Civil War. And because this Appomattox is only a few miles south of Lynchburg, Virginia, where my in-laws live, I visited that a couple of years ago, and I I really enjoy studying the Civil War, and I remember walking onto these hallowed grounds of Appomattox and thinking, wow, This is holy ground, right? This is one of the greatest moments in United States history. And you can visit the courthouse and you can go in the room where it was all signed. I mean, interestingly, they took down that courthouse and put all the bricks on the side of the road because they were going to design a museum and put it in Washington, D.C. But a bunch of people stole the bricks. (laughs) So if you go to Appomattox, it's a, a, a reworking of where that amazing event took place. And I think about the fact that on April 9th, 1865, the war was over yet there were still skirmishes. For many months, there were still some skirmishes. There were still some battles because they didn't get the message that the Civil War was over. And every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who wears a T-shirt that says, the South will rise again. And I'm like, probably not. 
It's probably not going to happen. I mean, it's been 158 years and the South has not risen again. We are one nation under God with a new authority, right? So let's just enjoy this. Yeah, there's some battles. There's some skirmishes. But, but there was defeat. And there was victory. And so the question, again, that we're all asking is, well, what do I do now with all of these skirmishes? How do we defeat the sin skirmishes in our lives? And here's what Paul says in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, the the war has been done. The back of Satan was broken at Calvary. Sin is no longer your master. The shackles were loosened at Calvary. Done. Don't let those skirmishes become king in your life. Don't let it become the master of your life. Don't let it reign and rule in your life. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin when you can offer the parts of your body to him. Why, why would you offer your, your body to sin when you have a new master? So as the old children's song goes, there's a lot of good theology in children's song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful the media that you watch, the social media, the programs that you allow to come into this mind because it eventually is going to seep into that heart. Be careful, little ears, what you Hear, little tongue, what you say, and little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go, and be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Be careful where you allow your hands to go, and your mind to go, and your tongue to go, and your feet to go, and be careful whom you trust with your God given heart. Don't offer it as instruments of wickedness, offer them to Him. And then I love the, the last part of this song so good, says this, because the Father up above is looking down in love. You see, some of you, you believe that God's looking down in anger. You believe he's looking at you and he's mad at you. And he's like, oh, I'm going to get you. You go ahead and touch that. You click there. You go there. I'm going to get you. That's not the message of the gospel because you've been justified. You've been set free. His righteousness has been imputed to you, and when he sees you, he sees righteousness. He sees innocence, and he looks at you with love. And the reason he doesn't want you to sin is because sin always comes prepackaged with a penalty, and sin's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt those closest to you, and it's going to hurt the children that God loves. So stop sinning. Because you're just hurting people. I know it's enjoyable for a season, and I know it's pleasurable for a moment, but at the end of the day, as he finishes chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. It always leads to destruction. So stop offering your body parts and your eyes and your ears to sin. Because you've been sold out to him, and you've been bought with a price. So sin shall not be your master anymore because you are not under law, but you're under grace. Isn't that good? 
How powerful. I sometimes like to go to the message translation. Eugene Peterson makes this in a contemporary version. I'm not going to give you every verse, just a few of these verses in the message translation. He writes, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house? Or didn't you realize when we packed up and left there for good? And that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that miserable sin life. No longer at sins, every beck and call. Because when sin calls, you can say you're dead to me. That means that you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So, I want to give you just some real practical application to this, okay? Because we still battle sin, still struggle with it. If you're justified, if you're in Christ and you're enjoying that relationship with him, we've all experienced Satan on the other side of the wall telling us lies, and it's easy to believe these lies. Let me give you some examples. Satan will say, you deserve it. Just click, just go, just say, just put it in your body. You deserve it. Everyone does it. I mean, everyone cheats. Everyone cheats on their taxes. Everyone does that in school. All your classmates do the same thing. No big deal. How about, hey, somebody took something from you. You should take it back. Somebody took a season of life from you. Somebody took your reputation. Somebody took money from you. Somebody took your job. You should get them. It's revenge. It's the message of Satan. How about God owes you? I mean, look at all your friends. They got high ceilings, and they got nice cars, and they got a nice house and a good job, and their kids are well-behaved. God must have just passed over you. God owes you. So it's okay to be jealous. You're not enough. You don't have what it takes. You're not a good dad. You're not a good mom. You're not a good employee. You think you're a good Christian because you come to church? Come on now. You're ugly and you're stupid. So just indulge. Just indulge. And I, I want to say to you that the more you read Scripture, this is why we read Scripture, this is why we come to church, because we, got, we hear these lies all the time through culture. And Christ wants to give you a different message. A hope-filled message that flows out of justification through faith. And here's the message that he wants to give you. Here's the message he wants to give you. You deserve it. Actually, you deserve hell. You, you, you deserve hell. Because let's be honest. We are wicked people. And even on our best days, 
Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I was watching the, the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp and the Quadra universe or wherever that is. Kind of a silly movie, but there's this guy that we're introduced to at the very beginning of the movie. And he's got this red spot on his head because he can read people's minds. And he says in the movie, I can read people's minds. And humans are disgusting. <laughs> Isn't it true that our heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure? Isn't it true that our, our throats are like open graves speaking deceit and it's like poison on our lips that are striking like a viper? And when God looks at you, he could see all of your sin and all of your wickedness. And he could say, you deserve hell. But instead, he gave you heaven. How about this one? Everyone does it. The truth is, some do it. Let me say this to middle school and high school students. You think you're the only one. Well, you're not the only one. There are other Jesus followers who are resisting the things of this world. You're not the only one. How about revenge? You know, I got to get them back. Jesus says, you forgive because I forgave you in your wickedness, and now you need to extend forgiveness. And besides, when I get angry and when I don't extend forgiveness, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're just living in your self-made prison. How about this one? God owes you. The truth is God owes you nothing. Because he's already given you everything. You're not enough. And God says, you're righteous. You're not guilty. You're more than enough in me. You're ugly. And God says, in me, in me, I've created you fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And you've forgotten that. You've forgotten, if I could quote the old country song, that God must have spent a little more time on you. And that if you're a male, you are strikingly handsome. And if you're a female, you are beautiful in God's eyes. And you've believed the lie that you're ugly and you're doing all this stuff to try to be somebody that you're not. Because you're listening to the voice of the lies on the other side of the wall. You're stupid. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is you're gifted. That you have gifts infused by the Holy Spirit. You have talents infused by the Holy Spirit, which we call spiritual gifts. You just got to figure out what that gift is. And you need to live in that freedom of Christ. And through the power of Christ, right, we can look at Satan who's on the other side of that wall, who's the lion with the broken back. And we got the lion of the tribe of Judah who's got a Ability to run fast and pounce and who's more powerful because he defeated that lion on the cross. And we can look at him and we can say, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. These are lies that I believe for too long. You're dead to me. And then if you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of other sheep that can look at Satan and say, you're dead to us. And I got a new master. And I don't need to follow your ways anymore. And then we can look at the people who are in bondage and say, come join his flock. And come be a part of the church of Jesus Christ who's led by the good shepherd. Who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Who's been justified. And come join the body of Christ. That's the good life. As we just sang about, you are good to me. So, so good to me. That doesn't mean sin's not going to be difficult to fight. We all know how 
difficult sin is to battle. But it means Christ has already won the battle, and through his power we can defeat the little skirmishes that rise up until he comes again. So if you're here today, and you're in an orange jumpsuit, like you have not been justified. You've not received Christ. You've not been transferred over into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up and go out those double doors and talk to somebody so that you can, with confidence, leave this place justified. And if you're here today and you say, I am justified, but I'm kind of living like a black sheep. I've refused to put on the uniform. That doesn't make any sense. So you should also leave through those double doors and receive baptism and receive that blessing, that gift that Christ offers you. So here's what we're going to do. I don't want you to do this yet. Okay, just remain seated. On the count of three, okay, I'm going to count one, two, three. First service, all kind of people got up, and I'm like, how much clearer do I have to be? Okay, count of three, count of three, here's who's going to stand up. The people who are planning to get baptized, I see a man right there who's wearing a tuxedo, and he's about to get baptized. You talk about a celebration right there, Brennan. Yeah, you go get your clothes. You go get your clothes of righteousness. Plan baptisms. We've got some, uh, some leaders who are going to just ask you a couple of questions to make sure that this makes sense to you. We're also going to have those of you who are spontaneously going to get baptized today. You're going to exit out those doors. On the count of three, you're going to exit out those back doors the worship team's going to come up front on the platform, and the kids are going to come in in just a few minutes. And there's going to be a bunch of kids sitting in the front, and we're all going to celebrate this together. Now, I wish we had confetti, right? Because if, if we had confetti, uh, that's what these people deserve. But we, we don't have confetti, but we can clap, and we can shout, and we can hoop and holler as a way to celebrate and affirm those people. Because it's scary to get into the water a little bit, right? Like, it's like, I got to get in front of all these people and I got to get all wet. Don't worry, we got a change of clothes for you. We got everything that you need. We got changing stations and we will make it as comfortable as we possibly can. And so, again, in the count of three, don't go yet. We're also going to do this song. Worship team, this is a great song. It goes like this. I've been set free. Sin has no hold of me because I'm dead to it. Sometimes I obey it. But that's not my real master. It doesn't have a hold on me. Shame has no power. I know you've walked in here with shame. We all have. But it doesn't have any power over you. So stop believing the shameful lies. I'm found in your mercy. I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ, and I'm demonstrating it through baptism. You call me whole, saved and redeemed. I've been set free. So, on the count of three, all of y'all need to get up and walk out those back doors, and if the children are ready, they're going to come in, and we're going to have a celebration up in here. Amen? So, one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, three. Everybody stand up. Not everybody, just these people stand up. Head out those double doors. We're going to give them a nice little Nice little round of applause. Yeah, we're about to celebrate up in here. The kids are coming up front. 
and uh, we're going to worship the Lord. So as they make their way in here, i got to say a bunch of things to kill time so that they can get up here and we can, we can get ready. Um, as they're heading up here, can we just say a prayer? Let's just say a prayer together. God, we love you. We thank you for justification through faith. We thank you that you give us the victory through Christ over sin. We thank you that we don't have to offer our instruments to wickedness, but we can offer them to you, our Savior, our Master, in our Lord. I thank you for this time of celebration. And I pray that if there's one person here who has not been baptized, that you would prick their heart and that they would stand up even right now and go back through those doors to celebrate new life in you. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for our leaders, our children's workers, our youth workers. Thank you so much for our small group leaders and all the people that invest in people so that we can celebrate days like this. We pray this in Jesus' name.